Our scripture reading this morning is from the end of Matthew 12. This is Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. So as Randy just read, to be a brother or sister of Jesus, according to Jesus, is to do the will of his Father who is in heaven. And what is his Father's will? Well, it's to walk in the way of his Son Jesus, which, as you know, is not an easy thing to do. If you really authentically follow it, not easy thing to do. You risk a lot, uh, whether it's rejection or injustice, a misperception, persecution, whatever it might be. Jesus himself faced it, as you well know. In fact, those who were nearest and dearest to Jesus uh, thought he was nuts for a time. Uh, they misunderstood him. You go to the Gospel of John, his brothers say that they basically do not understand what he is doing, not understanding why he left home. You go to Mark, and in the Gospel of Mark, family members question his sanity, thinking, how can you throw all this away? You've got a good job to go into with carpentry. Why are you leaving Nazareth? And it must have been disappointing to some family members, and some of us know what that's like to leave your town of origin and you go back and some people might not accept you then. There's a wonderful man who some of you have heard of named Wayne Oates, who's the father, really, of pastoral counseling as we know it, Christian counseling as we know it. And, and Dr. Oates grew up outside Kannapolis, North Carolina, and was raised in a mill town. And uh, by the age of 14, was working in, in a uh, cotton mill. And, and he thought, well, this is the rest of my life. But it just so happened that it was politically savvy for Senator Smith to find a, a boy in one of the cotton mills who would become one of his Senate pages. And one of his aides came to the place where Wayne was, and somebody pointed at Wayne and said, well, he's smart. He wound up being a page in the U.S. Senate uh, when he was 14. At age 16, that was the maximum age uh, to be a page, so he had to come back home, but then he planned to go to college. And he said it was so hard when he would go back to his hometown because there was this kind of sense of, oh, Wayne, so you're, you're above us now. You're too good for us. And you think you've got this special mission in life now to be a college minister or college student and then a minister and a professor. And he was pretty much ostracized. You know, oh, you're just going to leave us here. How can, can't believe you would leave your family here and just go off and desert them. Well, that had to be difficult for Wayne had to be a lot more difficult for Jesus because, again, he felt that same kind of pressure. How can you leave Nazareth, Jesus, and you talk about this special mission that you're on? You're saying you have a special mission and we don't? You know, are you above us? You know, who do you think you are? And again, how can you leave your hometown and your family of origin? That's just one way that Jesus knew pain and grief. Again, Isaiah 53, where it talks about he was despised and rejected, a man acquainted with sorrows and pain. And the struggle for Jesus had to be a lot harder than our struggle. So you get to Matthew, passage that Randy just read from, and his parents still think he's nuts and just don't understand what he's about, and, and his brothers don't either. So, so mom and brothers go and try to find him. And, and the context really suggests that they were wanting to go and talk some sense into Jesus. 
And so they go and they find that he's teaching somewhere, and so they send somebody into where he's teaching. That person sidles up to him and says, hey, your mother and brothers are here, which gives Jesus the chance to say what? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. So that's what Jesus has to say about it. Now, Doing the will of the Father isn't easy, like I said a minute ago. You risk a lot by doing that. My goodness, some of you who have been on these mission trips we go on have met people for whom doing the will of the Father, and they do it and do it well and do it better than we do, but they risk not just rejection, they risk persecution each and every day and maybe even worse. But it's important to recall that part of the will of the Father as well is to seek out family, which we have here. Uh, God does not want us to feel alone the way Jesus felt alone as he was fulfilling his mission here on earth. So thanks be to God, we have family. And we are family here, and we are family in the greater kingdom of God. And and Jesus himself sought out friends carefully. I preached about that when I preached about Proverbs and friendship. And he he sought out 12 originally. You go to the Gospel of Matthew, he expanded it to 70 people. You go to Luke, and he expanded it two more people to 72 people who were really his, his family. Uh, uh, Emma said a minute ago, she talked about uh, uh, friends who were family, and Jesus himself had that. Uh, one of the verses we talked about when I preached on friendship uh, recently was Proverbs 18.24, and a lot of you really like that. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't it great to find friends who are family who really in some ways seem to be closer to you than a brother or sister? Who comes to mind when I say that? And don't you feel blessed to have that? Now, Jesus himself had diversity in his family, his earthly family. Not necessarily ethnic diversity, but he had a lot of diversity in terms of temperament, if nothing else. You had hot-headed Peter. You had uh, cool, sublime, reflective John. Uh, You had Mary, the righteous mother of Jesus, and and she was good friends with Mary Magdalene, who had a questionable past. You had Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was one of the disciples. You had another disciple over here named Simon the Zealot. Based on their particular jobs as a zealot or tax collector, they should have been at each other's throats. Nobody hated each other in first century Palestine more than tax collectors hated zealots and vice versa. And yet Jesus intentionally chose this diverse group to be family. And the church is made up of diversity. We might not be ethnically diverse here in this particular church. Temperament-wise, we are indeed diverse. So that leads us to Brookwood. And I hope that you realize as you journey toward following and fulfilling the Father's will in your life that you're not alone. Really important. You have a church family that cares. I hope, and I don't mean this really as an advertisement, but I hope that relationally you have taken advantage of what it means to be at a church family like this. Uh, Just this past week... Uh, Shalyn Poole uh, and I were talking. Some of you know Shalyn. She was an interim, I think it was youth minister here. Is that right? And she loves Brookwood. Just to, you know, She's a, a children's minister now out in Shelby County, but, but she just loves Brookwood. We were talking about it because uh, it was her last day of working with me. She's been my associate for the Pre-Men Scholars Program. Uh, I have a new person working for me now, Catherine Thomason, Thomas, Catherine Thomas. Anyway, oh, hey, there you are. Uh, Anyway, I'm really really excited. Students, by the way, my pre-mens are really excited about this. But anyway, uh, but I was talking to Shalene, and she just said, and and it was funny because we were kind of wrapping it up, one of those, you know, hug sessions where, oh, you've been so good, oh, you've been so great. But we mainly talked about Brookwood. 
And she just talked about, I just love that church. That's still the most amazing church I know of. And she said, you know what I love? I love how you call it a tribe all the time. She said, I really like how you call it a tribe because that really connotes, you know, being there for each other, come hell or high water, no matter what goes on, we're going to be there for each other, come through for each other, and all that. And I told her, and and I'm not saying this to be maudlin or sentimental, but I said, you know, and and I've, I've appreciated that term and we'll keep using it, but I told her, I'd say in the last year, for me personally, for whatever reason at this phase in my journey here at Brookwood, this place has really become family for me. Uh, and it wasn't just we went to South Africa and I grew a beard, but, but it, it's more than that. There's a lot more to it than that. And, and just in the last year, just you all have become family all the more to me in a way that's just more powerful uh, than anything I've experienced with a church group. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And it's fun to experience family together even in weird ways. How many people did the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Anybody in here raise your hand if you did? Bunch of the youth went after it. Caleb went after it. I was challenged by Brian Bonds. Um, some of you know that Brian, uh, who's in the first service, is battling ALS, as is uh, Glenn Love, and both of them are sitting right back here in the last service, and they're just <laughs> they're handling it so amazingly well. But Brian challenged me, and other people got uh, into it. It was just fun to get on social media during this week and see all these people dumping buckets on their heads or, or having other people dump uh, icy water on their heads. My favorite was Pastor Ralph Garth. Uh, that, how many of y'all saw, saw it? <laughs> And he kept saying, we're going to defeat, was it LSA? He got it wrong. It was great. Man, we're going to take care of LSA and all that. He just went off. It was great. Y'all watch it on Facebook or Twitter. Just look up Ralph Garth, and, and uh, it was, I was dying. But he was great. And then there, who was the other guy down at Truvine? Vincent. Yeah, he was great. I mean, those were my two favorite ones. Those were just hilarious. But uh, anyway, it was just fun because I told somebody, it was like, it's almost like, as I watch them, it's like we're all sitting in the backyard as family watching each other do this for a great cause and everything. But I, it just really, there, there was this sense of family with Brookwood even as I was watching everybody dump water on each other. But again, let me say this, and if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, listen to this, because to be the family of God, to be the family that God wills us to be, we really do need to learn to lean on each other, be, and I know this is a, a word we've used in the last five years a lot, a lot, but be genuinely transparent to each other. And I say that again and again and again because that's hard for you and me here. We are in a, an incredibly image conscious environment here in Mountain Brook, Vestavia. I mean, we're, we're very image conscious. It's a, it's a pride thing to some degree. Some of it is because we are, we, we are very driven people, we're very successful people. And it's harder for us sometimes to let the wall down and let someone know that we genuinely are going through some kinds of struggles. It's interesting, the deacons, we've been talking about this. Um, you know, we have these things called two and more lunches, and like every month, uh, three deacons just kind of randomly or maybe not so randomly get together for lunch, and they might not even know each other very well. But it's gotten great response where, where this deacon over here didn't know this one over here, and they go and eat lunch with one other person. They just say it's been really enriching in terms of experiencing community together. But uh, uh, David and Charles, particularly as deacon chair, vice chair, and other people really started springboarding into this idea of, you know, we could have two or more ministries where two, three people go and minister to, to, you know, a church member in a very practical way. Because we were talking about it, and we got together with with a larger group beyond uh, deacons, and we were talking about, man, there are people here who really could use a helping hand, whether it be something really weighty like grief recovery, which we offer here, and we actually have a counselor here and everything, 
Uh, anything from that to, what did you say? Oh, changing a light bulb, which really may, I mean, for some people it's, it's difficult to reach or somebody uh, who just physically cannot do it for whatever reason. We were like, man, there's this span of ways that we could in very practical ways go out and, and minister to them. And it would be deacons along with Sunday school teachers. Those of you who are in Sunday school classes here, I've never seen Sunday school classes that are so gosh, what do I say the word, protective and, and reaching out to a Sunday school class member who's going through a difficult time. I've never seen it done so well as here. So the deacons really want to partner with Sunday school teachers and make sure this is done uh, you know, with as much fluidity as we can do it. And, and, and uh, so I'm very, very excited about that. By the way, just commercial for just a second. Next week we're talking about teaching it. Did you like that little move? Did you see what I just did? Yeah, that was slick. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to really celebrate teaching in the service and uh, really celebrate people who teach in the church. And you'll hear multiple testimonies from people next week. And I think that's a great way to get started for the school year. So just keep that in mind. And uh, be sure to show your appreciation for someone who either teaches you on Sunday morning or leads a small group with you sometime during the week or an equipping group. Uh, just keep that in mind for next week. Okay, now, here's what I want to, if nothing else, do you want to help us here at Brookwood? Even if you hadn't been here very often, you know, been here very long, whatever. You want to help us? best way you could help us is let us know when you need us. <laughs> because, again, that's hard for us to do sometimes. And we've talked about that. We've even talked about that among de- deacons. That sometimes, whether it's our pride or, like I said, image or whatever gets in the way, and, and it's harder for us to do. Sometimes it's easier for us to do it with people <laughs> outside the church. Uh, or they are more willing to be vulnerable to us. Just this past week, I, we have an Orkin guy named Frederick. Does anybody have Frederick the Orkin man? He's so cool. Does anybody have Frederick? Nobody? He's wonderful. Big old guy, burly guy. Came, came up the other day uh, to, to you know, spray the house like he does. And he came in, and he looked preoccupied. And we've known Frederick for quite some time. And I said, hey, man, what's, are you doing okay? He said, no. I'm, uh, he said, I've got my wife on my mind. And I was like, well, well, tell me about it. And she had just had some major surgery where they had to do a, a big incision and everything. And he said, I mean, she's on the other side of it, and they think they got it all. He didn't elaborate, and I didn't try to probably said they they think they got it all but she's just in a lot a lot of pain right now and I said man I'm sorry to hear about that we talked about it a little bit more and I said well how are you doing Frederick and and I'd never heard this you might have but he said well I'm flying on a wing in a prayer but I think I lost my wing and all I got is prayer right now and and I I like they said he said will you pray for me just pray that I get my wing back and I like that. Uh, remind me of Isaiah 40 about lift it up, mount up as like wings with e- uh, eagles with wings, whatever. And uh, and he said, just pray that I get my wing back. And and so I, I prayed that that he would uh, get his wing back. And 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 you know he was leaving and stuff. I said, man, thanks so much. I said, Frederick, I might even use you in the sermon on Sunday. He was like, oh man, you made my week. I feel better already. So he's just a great guy. But, but I thought, gosh, you know, he was so willing to be that open and honest from the start, from the time I saw him. And I thought, are you and I really honestly good enough, capable enough, brave enough, courageous enough to be that way for one another? We've talked about this before, too. We need to have a proper theology of receiving in an area like this. You know, think about that. What is your fundamental category of relationship with God and what is God's fundamental category of relationship with you think about it God gives you receive God is the giver you are the receiver you know God created you and you came into being he he gave you life and you received it Um, 
He offered salvation and you received it. Oh, how I love Jesus because he, what? First loved me. Ultimately, he gives you receive. And ultimately, it is all God's and it's all such gifts. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, What have you got that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? And it is. But sometimes it's hard for you and me to be receivers, you know, to depend on someone else, to lean on other people, but that's God's will. You know, he doesn't want us to feel isolated and alone by any stretch in our pain. So, so if you want to minister to us, help teach us here how to do that better, to be more transparent with one another. I, I think we're good at it. We can always be better. Paul even says, what, those who are weak get treated with greater honor. I know in another place Jesus says it is, great, it, it is more blessed to give than to receive, but you really cannot give effectively until you have first received uh, and, and I think it's put so well in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which I read earlier. Listen to, particularly to the latter part of it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We really can't be good givers until we can be good receivers of the grace and comfort that God gives us, or sometimes the grace and comfort that others give to us, and that makes us better givers. It's God's will for you to share your pain with others when you are suffering. And it is sad when someone feels like they're not in a place where they can share that. You know, a lot of people were rocked this past week. One of the genius entertainers, you know, of our lifetime, Robin Williams, took his own life. You know about that. I got a little concerned about some of the people who started pontificating about what a coward he was and how he made this choice. Yeah, he did make a choice, and yes, it was a terrible choice. It was a tragic choice. But from a pastoral counselor perspective, let me just say, to some degree that ignores the degree to which depression can impair someone's capacity to judge what is a good decision and a bad decision, okay? And if you want to talk about that later, happy to do that. But again, Sometimes people get to the point where they can't even make that decision, and that is what's so sad about it. I think it's so tragic. I so wish he could have felt like he could have reached out to someone for some help. And the reality was people would have been there for him. And so how tragic it is when something like that occurs, when someone definitely is there who could help in some way. And we need to be there for one another when someone is weak and treat those people who are weak at the moment with greater honor. And it's so cool when people who are at a point of weakness can, can give back, even in wonderful ways, even if it's kind of not what you're expecting. I can't remember if I've shared about Henry. I've talked about Henry Nouwen a lot before. Henry Nouwen wrote great books like The Wounded Healer and The Way of the Heart and Reaching Out. Uh, Henry, for many years, taught it. He taught courses in ministry and spirituality at Notre Dame and then Yale and then Harvard. But for the last 10 years of his life, uh, he went to this place called Larch Community, which is in Canada. And he felt that God was leading him to go there and just live among the, a community of people who were emotionally impaired, physically challenged, uh, mentally challenged. And he decided, that's where God wants me to do the rest of my work. And he said it was the most rewarding 10 years of his life. And he said it was very healing for me. And he said it was so cool because these people didn't care about what degrees I had or where I had taught or where I had traveled. So they didn't care at all. They just were very open and honest about, well, that's fine, but can you help me? (laughs) He said it was very healing for him to be around people who would so honestly ask for help on a regular basis. 
Well, he had one friend there named Trevor who had to be taken to another facility for a psychiatric evaluation, and they wound up keeping him there for weeks. And after a number of weeks, Henry Nowen thought, I want to go see Trevor. And so he called that facility and talked to the supervisor there, the main guy, and he said, I'd like to come see my friend Trevor. My name's Henry Nowen. He said, oh my gosh, are you Henry Nowen? Well, if you come down, can we serve you a lunch? Would you be so kind as to speak to clergy and dignitaries and, and, and medical people down here? And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that, sure. And so Henry arrives there, and they escort him to this place called the Golden Room. I'm not making that, but it's the Golden Room. It's where important people have lunches and everything. And he thought, well, this is fine. And he walked in, and he, he looked around, and he said, well, where's Trevor? And they said, oh, well, Trevor's a patient here. He said, yeah, I know. That's why he came down here. Yeah, well, patients are not allowed to eat in the, in the golden room. And he was like, well, that's why I came down here. I came down here to see Trevor, and I'm happy to speak to you all, but I'm here to see Trevor. Yes, but patients, particularly psychiatric patients, are not allowed in the golden room. Oh, okay, but I, I was told I could, I could see him and, and dine with him, and I'd like to dine with him. Yeah, but you see, he's, he's a psychiatric patient. Well, and, and he said for a split second, he thought, well, okay. But then he thought, and, and Henry now is a very meek guy, but he was like, you know, the Spirit was prompting me, basically telling me Trevor should be included. And so he told this guy who oversaw everything, he said, look, if, if he can't attend this, I'm not going to attend it either. And, well, far be it from this guy to, to you know, mess up a situation where Henry now could speak. So they made special, you know, special accommodations, and Trevor came to join the people in the golden room. And he was sitting up at the front there at the main table where Henry was. And Henry was engaged in conversation with some people over here. Trevor was sitting a few people over, over this way. And everybody was just talking. It was one of those pleasant things. Everybody, you know, eating their food and just, just engaging in talk. And all of a sudden, Trevor stood up and, and held his glass of Coca-Cola aloft and just kind of, you know, with real... Just kind of this thing, a lot of fanfare, kind of, you know, started doing this. And people, and, and it took a while for people to get quiet, but then everybody's like, hey, what's, you know, and everybody start talking, start looking, and, and Trevor's just, and so it was very, very awkward, and then everybody got real quiet, and they're like, and they could tell based on his dress, you know, okay, here's a psychiatric patient, and he's just doing this, just this disturbing hush, and all of a sudden he said, a toast! I will give a toast. <laughs> and people were like, what's he going to do? And he just started, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. Everybody, you know, everybody was about halfway committed like, uh, you know, like that. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. And everybody's like, huh? And, and. He went through the whole thing again, and finally, you know, Henry was, oh, that's, that's my man Trevor. He stood up, started singing, if you're happy, and you know, well, if Henry now would do it, everybody, so, so everybody stood up, and, and they did it four or five times, just going over and over. Some of them were singing it, some were shouting it, if you're happy, you know it, raise your glass. And finally, he said, take and drink, and they drank their Coca-Cola or whatever, and then sat down, continued. Uh, Henry Nowen, for many years, got mail and, and emails from people saying, gosh, I always remember when you came to such and such a place and spoke, but they never talked about what he said. In fact, he said, none of them could remember what I said in my little talk. What they remembered was Trevor's toast. And he said, but you know, that preaches, because here was someone who wasn't even invited to the golden room, and yet he was included. 
He was brought in as one among that group. And he said, you know, that's the way no doubt it should be. And this man who received acceptance, received, was able to give back in a very memorable way. And I hope and pray that you and I can be that kind of church here. And if nothing else, let me just say that, that to be that kind of church is to model the way the kingdom is supposed to be out there. Someday I'll run out of South Africa stories, but, but not yet. I'm, we, we were having a sack lunch one day out on this beach. Uh, we'd all been working some at, at, at Masapumalele, the, 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 the township there that was built for 5,000 people. And there were, what, like 47,000 people living there. It's just heartbreaking. Other people were doing other stuff. But we went and sat, and I'll never forget looking down the beach away, and, and it was in front of us, just closer to the water, and there were probably about 20 kids, and I'll never forget because, and I guess that's why South Africa is called the Rainbow Nation. You can talk about diversity. It was so cool because every, every kid that was out there, and these were kids between, I'd say, 13 and 15, and you had a lily-white, toe-headed fella over here, and then clearly an Indian girl over here, dark-skinned, and then you had uh, dark-skinned South Africans and then colored Africans, and over there, that's politically correct to say, and then you had a Hispanic kid, an Asian kid. It was, a, it was every ethnicity I, I know of, and they were all just playing some kind of rugby-ish kind of game that I couldn't figure out, but they were just all doing that, clowning around, and then just enjoying each other's company, and I thought, golly. And I just watched that for a good 30 minutes, and they were just enjoying each other's company and enjoying being friends in a sense who at that moment were family with, with such a diversity. And I thought, my God, if I could just bottle that up, if we could bottle that up and take it elsewhere, you know. And the more we can be like that as God's people, even if it's just a simply diversity in temperament, let alone ethnicity, and yet we want to be able to be open and inclusive of all ethnicities and all types, if we could do that a little better, we're going to get a little bit closer to the kingdom and family as God wants it. Let's pray together. Teach us all the more to be family, O oh God. Uh, we thank you that there's such a sense of welcome here and, and a strong sense of warmth in this church. We pray that we would be even better at, at reaching out to one another, even to having our, our, our spiritual nerve endings very, very sensitive to where we can understand when somebody must be going through something. And we just pray that we can just be more open and honest with our struggles because we all have them. Forgive us when, because of pride or whatever it might be, when we fail to be the human beings you've created us to be. We are broken people. It's poor theology to act like we are not failures and people who hurt and people who grieve and people who doubt and people who are confused and frustrated and sometimes feeling a little bit hopeless. That's not theologically sound at all. Your word tells us that we are broken people and thanks be to God your son Jesus came and experienced brokenness in the worst sense, the most severe sense, ultimately on the cross. And yet because of that incredible gift and the gift that came beyond through his resurrection, we are made whole. So may we be more transparent, not just with our pains, but with our joys as we serve you, as we follow you. Pray that we would just simply be all the more the authentic family members to one another and to you that you've called us to be. Because only then are we really doing your Father's will. We pray these things in your name. Amen.